0: Heavenly Father, we thank you for today. We thank you for everything that has led up to today. Thank you for the things that you have orchestrated this past week uh, to stretch us, to drive us to our knees, to seek you above all else. We thank you that, as we sang about a few minutes ago, you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And your word and the truths that it teaches remain the same yesterday, today, and forever. We thank you that we can always go to your word to find the answers, uh, to, to find the, the strength and the power that we need. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's a Parade Magazine online article just published this past December entitled, 150 Life Quotes. And in it are quotes from famous people from all areas of the world, religious, technological, acting, music, etc., where they give their two cents on how to live a happy life. And if you were trying to find the answers to a happy life, you would leave the end of that article pretty confused because the answers differed wildly from each other. And some of them didn't even make sense. And we shouldn't be surprised by that. For instance, the Dalai Lama is quoted as saying, the purpose of our lives is to be happy. Okay? (laughs) That's all well and good on the surface, but what does that actually mean? especially when our lives are heartbreaking, painful, and confusing. Albert Einstein said, if you want to live a happy life, tie it to a goal, not to people or things. But what goal? A goal that would make me happy? What if I invested years of my life into achieving a goal, only to find that either I'll never achieve it, and thus apparently never be happy, or if I do achieve it, it still doesn't make me happy. Then there are some quotes that just made me think, what in the world are you talking about? Mark Twain is quoted as saying about a happy life, good friends, good books, and a sleepy conscience. This is the ideal life. Atheist Stephen Hawking once said, Life would be tragic if it weren't funny. Say that to somebody who just lost a loved one. And the great, great philosopher, Elton John, I say that tongue in cheek, said, live for each second without hesitation. How is any of that helpful? So many people have absolutely no clue what will bring happiness in this life. So many people think they know what happiness is, or how to have a happy life, but are way off. And there are even believers in Jesus who don't really know what Jesus means when he says in the passage we're looking at today that he came to give life and to give it abundantly. What does he mean, and what does all of it mean for our lives now and the next life? We're continuing on in this parable that Jesus started in the verses we looked at last week from one of the most famous parables and verses in all of Scripture. The parable about him as the good shepherd of the sheep. Who are the thieves, robbers, strangers, and hired hands who are only out to destroy? And who is the ultimate thief and robber who is always out to steal, kill, kill, and destroy. We started out Jesus' parable last week by looking at the basic players of this parable, that Jesus is the good shepherd, Satan is the ultimate uh, thief, robber, and destroyer, and the Pharisees are believing, living, and acting in the same spirit as the devil himself. The irony is that the Pharisees think that they're the most righteous people On the planet, that's the irony. Jesus builds upon the basic players that he introduced to only what they can offer to the sheep and who who we are. This directly affects us as those sheep of Jesus' fold, what we talked about last week, and what Jesus actually means when he says he offers abundant life to us as these sheep. So, if you brought your Bible with you today, please turn to John chapter 10. Uh, we're going to be picking up in verse 7. If you didn't, that's okay. Uh, there should be one located in the pew in front of you. Please also turn to John chapter 10, verse 7, or look this up on your favorite Bible app on your smartphone. I'll be using the NASB if that matters what translation you're looking at here. John 10, verse 7. So Jesus said to them again, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of of the sheep. This is half of our scripture reading just a few minutes ago. Jesus will clarify specifically in verse 11 that he is the good shepherd that he first introduced in verses 2 through 4 that we looked at last week. And here, Jesus now also refers to himself as the door and the gate of the sheep pen. Like we talked about last week, at the time Jesus is telling this parable, they're already in the winter season, or at least very close to it. The next time indicator we have is that Jesus is in Jerusalem for the Hanukkah celebration, which took place in the winter, as it still does today. As such, the people listening to Jesus would have understood that in the winter, sheep were gathered. Uh, Up from the field in which they were feeding and led into a pen to keep warm together. Oftentimes, multiple flocks of sheep owned by multiple different shepherds would be kept in one pen together. How would any of the shepherds differentiate their sheep from everyone else's and how would the sheep know to only follow their shepherd? Well, like we talked about last week, shepherds would give each of their sheep names and call their sheep by those names and in relation to this sheep have extraordinary memories remembering up to 50 sheep faces and human faces for up to two years as the sheep got to know the shepherd more the recognition of him and connection with him would get stronger and stronger The shepherd would merely need to call out the sheep's name and the sheep would follow him without hesitation. So the connection between shepherd and sheep, especially in this time period's understanding, was one of the most closely related between human and animal. Now all of that is huge to understanding what Jesus is getting at here. Jesus, as the Good Shepherd, already knows us perfectly because He had a hand in our creation. And as we get to know Jesus more and more and spend more and more time with Him, we trust Him more and more with our lives, with everything in our lives, just as a sheep would with their shepherd. But how we get to have Jesus call out to us to gather to himself as one of his sheep is what verse 7 explains that we just read jesus is the good shepherd but there is only one way to have him as our personal good shepherd there was only one gate or door to the sheep pen everything else was covered with brambles like i said last week sort of first century barbed wire to protect the sheep why for the sheep's protection. There was only one door to the pen for the sheep's protection from predators. And there is only one way to salvation. Through Jesus and Jesus alone. As Jesus literally is the very one and only gate, He is the only way to be rescued. And thus protected from God's condemnation and sentenced to hell. And once we've been rescued by Him as the one gate, He is the only source of protection for us from the attacks of Satan and the destructive messages of this world. How many times have you heard this phrase? As long as you believe in something higher than yourself and you believe it sincerely, you'll go to paradise when you die. How many times have you heard that? It's all the same anyway they say first of all that's lazy theology and lazy faith because you've never actually investigated what is at the heart of every faith secondly anyone who believes that believes that has never read their bibles or if they have they have a woeful understanding of their bibles jesus is very clear here in verse 7 the only way to have him call out to you as the good shepherd is to go through him and him alone as the door out to the green pasture or spiritual rest as we'll get to in a second there is no other way no no matter how unfair that seems to us as humans God is sovereign, and it's God's plan to save who he wants to have grace on according to his perfect plan. And so he gets to come up with the way to have that salvation. All we can do is listen for his voice and come to him the way he's laid out for us to do. All throughout Scripture, we see that it's not based on anything we can do to earn that salvation or earn entrance into heaven or earn favor with God. Jesus is the one who already paid for the penalty of our sin on the cross and then rose again to defeat the penalty of our sin, which is the second death or hell. He then calls out to us as a shepherd would to a sheep all we can do is surrender to that call in every way by repenting of our sin and who we once were and who we once followed and taking Him as our Savior and King, following Him and only Him the rest of our days. That's it. It's very simple. And that's the only door to it, whether or not we like it. Anyone who leads you away from that truth is nothing more than a thief or a robber, feeding you a false gospel and a flat-out lie. It was the same 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it. Verse 8, All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. In this context, who is Jesus referring to and probably looking dead straight at when he originally said it? The Pharisees, they fully believed in and fully perpetuated a self-righteous earning of God's favor by how well they and others followed the Mosaic law along with all the other man-made rules they invented. And they forced that self-believed lie based on wrong theology onto the people they were supposed to be shepherding themselves as the religious leaders of the day. So much so that they literally kicked out anyone from the synagogue who disagreed with it and was interested in what this Jesus of Nazareth had to say. So Jesus was straight up with them, albeit in image form, in this parable. He says all you religious leaders who were supposed to be the ones who led God's people into his truth are actually the complete opposite. All you have been accomplishing with your lives, education, and positions is that of thieves and robbers of the souls of God's people. Leading them away from what the truth of God really is and leading them to destruction and death. And that is the cold, hard, unmasked truth of what anyone who is not leading people to Jesus is actually doing. Anyone who claims that all faiths and religions are the same or that salvation can be earned by your own self-righteous moral code or that Jesus isn't actually God or that the one true God is anything other than what is clearly explained to us in his word or even that his standards in his word no longer apply to our society or, or culture today, all that they are are thieves and robbers leading people away from the safety of the truth of Jesus and His salvation and leading people to destruction and ultimately the second death. All those nice things that are spouted all over social media and the Twitter accounts of progressive and liberal so-called pastors are nothing but sugar-coated lies. And all they are, are satanic messages in disguise made to look like something Jesus would say or do, but they're really just lies from the pit of hell whose only goal is to lead people away to destruction and death. Completely oppositely, what does only entering through the gate of Jesus and becoming one of Jesus' sheep through him give us verse 9 i am the door if anyone enters through me he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture this is very reminiscent of psalm 23 isn't it let's see all that is wrapped up in jesus as the good shepherd leading us out as his sheep who have answered his call And recognize and follow only his voice. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. If you could condense all of that imagery and poetry to one word answers, what do we have? We have peace. We have rest. Provision, fulfillment, everything that we're all as humans are ultimately searching for. Tell me if I'm wrong, but isn't it the older we get, the thing we crave the most is peace. Isn't that what we crave the most? Peace, deep peace and contentment, peace in the midst of storms, peace about our futures, peace about our lives now, peace about our kids, peace in the middle of heartbreak and darkness. If you're younger or a teenager and you think you need all this other stuff in life and in this world, don't listen to that. Save you a lot of heartbreak. What you'll find is that the biggest thing in this life that you'll crave is peace. And that peace and contentment can only be found in a growing, deepening relationship with Jesus as Philippians 4 says. The goal is to glorify God with our lives. That's the goal. And Jesus' deep peace and contentment is a byproduct He gives us as we do that. That's exactly what Psalm 23 says And John 10 portray for us a peace, contentment, and spiritual rest in every way based on simple trust in the shepherd. Simple trust in the shepherd. It's directly derived from a simple trust in that the shepherd knows what's best for us. No matter what we think is best for us. A trust in that the shepherd knows what he's doing and is leading us to exactly where he wants to lead us. A trust in that the shepherd will provide for our every need the way he deems best. And at the end of all of it, ultimately, his goodness and loving kindness will come after us and we will dwell in the heavenly house of the Lord forever. That's all we need. The world tells us we need all these other things in this world and a peace that the world thinks it can give. But again, any peace this world says it can give is just empty lies. Any peace this world says it can give is really behind all the bling, glitz, popularity, and ease is satanic lies meant only to distract us and lead us away from the only source of true and real and everlasting peace. That's what directly leads us to verse 10. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is one of the most famous verses in all of Scripture. What does it actually mean? Like we took a look at last week in, in looking at 1 Peter 5.8, the only goal of our ultimate adversary, Satan, is to destroy humanity. I'm going to say that again. The only goal of our ultimate adversary, Satan, is to destroy humanity. Humanity. He was the one kicked out of heaven as an angel for his pride and getting it into his head that he could be God. He was so convincing that he took an entire one-third of those angels right along with him to this earth where those angels continue to do his bidding as demons. Newsflash. Satan's read the Bible. He knows how to manipulate it and twist it to say whatever he wants it to say. But in addition, he also knows what's going to happen to him at the end of this world. He will be thrown into the torment of the lake of fire for all of eternity. He also knows that that's the fate awaiting all those who reject Jesus. So what is the one and only goal of Satan and his hierarchy of demons? To destroy the pinnacle of God's creation humanity, and take as many of them along with him to the lake of fire. Jesus has already referenced Satan as the father of murder and death. So, it's no wonder then that murder of children is being masked with with terms like women's rights and cruelly ironic reproductive rights. It's no wonder then that the prevention of having children is peddled so much. It's no wonder, then, that sexual relationships outside of marriage and that marriage relationship directly tied to bearing and raising children are so popular. It's no wonder, then, that sexual relationships that don't lend themselves to conceiving and bearing children, in other words, homosexual ones, are promoted so strongly. It's no wonder, then, that the process of changing what God created Created your physical body to be into another gender through unnatural hormones and surgeries thus rendering you sterile is fiercely held so dear. It's no wonder that our bodies are being destroyed by chemicals in food, pharmaceuticals, different forms of destructive addictions, and other man-made chemicals we put into our bodies. It's no wonder that progressive Christianity and the blatant unbiblical lifestyles have permeated and in a lot of cases taken over churches. It's no wonder that the true gospel of Jesus Christ has been replaced in many churches with prosperity teaching or subjective social goals or that God just wants you to be who you are. God just wants you to be happy and God just wants you to live your true self. And no one should judge anyone else for being who they want to be. It's no wonder that repentance from sin, making Jesus king of your life, and removing anything that could be considered offensive has watered down the gospel truth to lies. Removing all of that has watered down the gospel truth to lies. What is all of that? messages from the ultimate thief and destroyer of humanity, Satan himself, cleverly disguised as progress, liberation, or what will finally make you happy. And we now live in a day where Satan club is introduced at schools. And all of it, in reality are lies whose sole goal is to lead humans away from Jesus and to destruction and ultimately the second death. And if you stand up against any of it, you're attacked as a bigot, stupid, closed-minded, judgmental, and even as unchrist like That's the one I get the kick out of the most. And if you stand up for the truth of God's word, once again, because as the Apostle Paul writes in, Ephesians 6, re- writes in Ephesians 6, you will be seen as enemy number one. Why? Because we, our fight is not against flesh and blood, but we're really fighting against the satanic and demonic realm. So, what does Jesus mean when he says that he came to give life and to give it abundantly? Does it mean having your best life now? Does it mean attracting all of these positive things into your life? Is it prosperity? Good health? A better way of relating to people? A way to achieve your personal goals? Or getting promoted at your job? To answer that, who is Jesus contrasting himself against here? At least in the visibly human way. Who is he contrasting himself with? The Pharisees, right? The Pharisees' mentality was right in line with everything I just mentioned. What is all of that ultimately? Self-centered, subjective, human, and in reality, earthly-based. This is also why elsewhere Jesus calls them out for focusing on gaining wealth and high social status. All that the Pharisees themselves were focused on ultimately was themselves. So if Jesus is clearly contrasting what He can only give with what the Pharisees were emphasizing, is the abundant life Jesus gives connected to anything about who we are or what we wish for or our dreams or this earth? Getting a lot of blank stares. Is it connected to any of that? No, not at all. Maybe that's why I was getting blank stares. What? Likewise, if anyone remembers from the beginning part of this series, who are the original readers of this gospel that the Apostle John is writing to? He's writing to believers in Jesus, the church, who in 90 AD were facing intense persecution from all sides. The Jewish community wanted nothing to do with them. And at this point, they even placed a curse on Christians in one of their ritual prayers. The Roman government had been organizing strong persecution towards Christians for close to 30 years already by that point. All the original apostles, including Paul, had been killed. Some in extremely tortuous ways. And John would be exiled to the island prison of Patmos soon. Christians were losing their jobs and were being hunted down for their faith, for imprisonment, death, or both. Part of the reason why John felt the need to write this fourth gospel, aside from the Holy Spirit leading him to and writing it through him, was to give the church real encouragement and boldness to continue living the faith and life Jesus had called them to. Would a definition of abundant life based on who we think we are or what we want in life or how we want to live our lives, again, all subjective, self-centered definitions of abundant life, thus have any bearing, connect in any way, or give the desperately needed boost of encouragement and boldness the church needed at that point, or now in many places around the world? No, not at all. So, what is it? What is this abundant life that Jesus says he came to give? It's life that transcends this world. Not only for the next world, but while we still live in this world. And it's not subjective or what we want or in connection with our opening, what we think will make us happy. It's all reliant, even in its existence, on God and God alone. Again, in its immediate context, the Pharisees' definition of what life was supposed to be was all self-centered, subjective, self-promoting, and as a foundation, worldly. Jesus' life that he alone gives to his sheep is therefore based on the complete opposite foundation God's plan Jesus's salvation unto eternal life and the holy spirit's indwelling of us in this world now in other words the world's understanding of abundant life freedom and truth is based and built upon a completely and radically different foundation from Jesus's abundant life and Jesus's abundant life Freedom and truth is based and built upon a completely and different and radically different foundation from the world. The two are night and day. They do not mesh at all together. And really, as the Apostle Paul writes in the book of Galatians, they stand against and war against each other as polar opposites. Don't. Go looking for what Jesus defines as abundant life, as anything connected to this world or even to yourself. In fact, Jesus' abundant life that He came to give starts with Him calling out to us as the Good Shepherd based on God the Father's plan for us and us answering that call as a sheep completely surrendering all of who we are, what we want our lives to be, our dreams, and repent of the sin that once controlled us to Jesus' leadership, guidance, commands, direction, provision, timing, and goal for us as His sheep and as King. That first step is what secures our abundant eternal life, giving us the 100% full assurance and peace of knowing that if we walked out of this church today and got hit by a car, or we received a cancer diagnosis, or our plane just fell out of the sky, or say a train derailed on the tracks that go through Peberg and poisoned us with toxic fumes, our earthly death is nothing to be Feared. And when Jesus calls us home, we will be with him for all of eternity, reveling in all of the joy he has prepared for us as we speak. That's the end of this earthly life and the beginning of our eternal one. But what about now? Does Jesus' abundant life extend to this earthly life now? Yes. Obviously, or else it wouldn't be in direct contrast to the Pharisees' way of life, or what the Holy Spirit through John was using to encourage the persecuted church through till today, or what this world focuses on and promotes When we surrender our lives and all of who we are to Jesus as the good shepherd, and we merely as the sheep to follow him in repentance of our sin, Jesus gives us the best gift we could ever hope to receive in this life on this earth while we anticipate the next one. None other than God himself, the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. God's Word tells us the world simply cannot have and the world simply doesn't understand what the Holy Spirit gives and pours out within us every single day. The Holy Spirit indwells indwells us and from that moment on, we are not merely humans. That is, with only human desires and dreams of what we think our lives should be. We are indwelt by a distinct Person of the Trinity. Transcendent from us. Who in our hearts. Moves in us. Creates the characteristics God wants in us. Transforms our entire world view. To see everything the way God wants us to see it. And in short. Makes us into wildly different people. Who we, from who we once were. The people God wants. To make us into. The image and character of Jesus. Our purpose in life, for those of you wondering what your purpose in life is supposed to be, our purpose in life is glorifying Him in seeking His righteousness, building His kingdom, and telling others about His salvation and discipleship. We then live out that biblical purpose biblical purpose for every believer in the personal context God puts us in. In our families, in our church, in our community, in our job, and in our school. And what this Holy Spirit does as well is pour out Jesus' abundant life into our hearts and minds. When tragedy strikes, or life is simply hard, or not what we wanted it to be, worldly humanity dictates we spiral into a deep hole whose only escape is through alcohol, other substances, junk food, video games, binging shows, sex and porn, or any other form of escapism this world has to offer. That's the only answer it has. The abundant life that Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, offers is that deep peace we talked about earlier, whose only source is God, in which the world simply cannot have or understand. The deep peace from God is what comforts us in times of heartbreak or confusion. The world calls every kind of freedom under the sun Freedom. Freedom from expectations. Freedom from sexual or gender norms, roles, or positions. Freedom from sex leading to conception and leading to raising children. Freedom from a patriarchal God. Freedom from an absolute truth and moral standards of any kind. And simply put, freedom to be your true self. Even believers in Jesus can be deceived into thinking that abundant life is a personal freedom to pursue whatever we think will make us happy. But Jesus' abundant life through His Holy Spirit gives us true freedom. Freedom from the power of sin. Freedom to understand His Word and His truth. Freedom and empowerment to follow Him and His standards without fear of doing something wrong to lose our salvation. Freedom to see the world for what it really is. A broken, depraved place following nothing but the lies of Satan and freedom to know who God is, that He loves us, that His plan for us is perfect. Jesus' abundant life and the Holy Spirit gives us the freedom from fear. There are so many powers that dictate what people do in this world and the biggest one is is fear. And that is the biggest one we've been freed from. You want to look at somebody who, determine if someone's a believer in Jesus or not? How much fear do they have? Somebody who fully trusts the good shepherd and that simple trust, we have nothing to fear. Absolutely nothing to fear. And Jesus' abundant life gives us his peace in every Situation. Jesus' abundant life is knowing that our lives are not our own, as Paul writes to the Corinthian church, but our lives are bought by Jesus, that Jesus bought us with his blood. So, what Jesus' abundant life is, in a nutshell, is a life led by Jesus as the shepherd for God's glory. And thus receiving what He deems best for us as His sheep. Again, to use for His glory. Both in this life and the next. And being given His peace through that truth. Verse 10 again. The the, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly let's pray heavenly father we thank you for just a few verses but so much deep truth that can be dug out from these few verses i pray that if this world has any hold on us that we would surrender that hold to you and that you would free us from that this world is nothing for us the only thing, the only peace, the only hope, the only life, abundant life that we can have is the life that you can give. I pray that we would repent of our sin. if We've never done that. Take you as Savior and King. Start that new life of faith today. And that if there's a hold that the world still has on us, that we would repent of that and receive the full abundant life we can, we can possibly have through the Holy Spirit. We thank you for all that we have to look forward to as well. That that abundant life we'll be able to enjoy for all of eternity. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name.